This week, I'm speaking to Josie Norton, CEO and co-founder of the blinking, brilliant and revolutionary charity Choose Love. And to its very core, Choose Love is this new generation, I'd say, of charity. And she's a new generation of a leader of a charity, a leader of a mission and a vision. And it's just absolutely one of the most beautiful podcasts that I've recorded. She is an accidental activist and definitely has lit a fire in myself to not feel helpless and hopeless with making change in helping those I don't know across seas, devastation that we see all around us. And she's lit a flame that I'm positive will carry forward into your hearts. Enjoy everybody and choose love. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. And I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Adobe, who've helped bring this podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Josie. What a pleasure it is to meet you. I've just told you I've got a massive girl crush on you, but this is Conversations of Inspiration and you're our guest today. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Holly, for having me and vice versa. And I feel truly honoured to be here. So really thank you for having me on. Oh, it's just absolutely brilliant. And I want to jump straight in. We're going to get into your history in a moment. But sadly, today we're we're speaking at a time where actually really everything that's happening at the moment is highlighting the work that you've been doing. And we've been all watching this terrible devastation. I mean, the news is hard to watch at the moment with Ukraine um, and people all over the world. And I wanted just to get straight into it, as I know that very early in the crisis, you started to urgently fundraise and your campaign to support Ukrainian people during this terrible moment in history. What was the response like when you you went out there? So Choose Love, what we do or the model that we've developed over the last seven years is that we fundraise and then we grant give to small local grassroots organisations who are working on the ground in all the different contexts that we work in. And over the years, we've worked in so many different emergencies and crises and conflict zones, including Syria. And we've seen in Syria what Putin and Putin's Russia is capable of. And... So in those days leading up to it, I think in particular when there was the story that came out that said that they were ordering blood for the troops and that it started to feel like this is this is really going to happen. We really knew to expect that in that initial stage, it would be the Ukrainian people and the people in neighbouring countries in Poland, in Romania, in Moldova, who would be stepping up and be that primary response, be that 
evacuating people, be that emergency medical care, be that food, be that shelter, be that specialised support for different marginalised communities. And we know as well that it you know, there's, there will be a global influx of funding, but it will take a long time to reach those that really need yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And we have all the mechanisms in place to be able to raise those funds and get them out really, really quickly. So within kind of a day, we had set up the crowdfunder that we set up. We had, we already had some network in that region, but we flew a team of two out to Poland. So we began asking in our network. The team in Poland were meeting with different organisations. We were really doing a needs assessment. We were understanding what the needs were. And then at the same time, you know, putting the stories direct from the ground on our social media channels and and raising funds. And I've never seen a response like it. It was totally incredible and inspiring how the public just really, really um, stepped up. Yeah. I, th- I think we'd raised over a million within a week. We've raised close to 12 million pounds now which, you know, in six months. I was going to ask you, because in the papers, when I was researching you, it was 7 million. I was like, well, that's out of date, I'm sure. 12 million. This is absolutely incredible. And when you you think about it, and this is, again, you know, I've heard you say the biggest refugee crisis since the Second World War. um, And the scale is actually mind-boggling. So more than, is it 10 million people have been displaced? And when you think how quickly this has happened... Yeah. As you said, no one was prepared for what was just about to take place. Um, you were on the ground, as you said, in, in a few days. You've raised this £12 million. The model that you created, and we're going to get into your history because, I, you know, you call yourself an, an accidental activist, right? Yeah. So I, I love that. But when you go into these situations, the model you created was basically relying on those on the ground to do what they did do best, correct? And and you're almost fueling love into these people? Exactly. When we actually started, we were operational ourselves. We we had volunteers, we had a warehouse that we we rented in Calais with a French organization. We had we were doing distributions, we were building shelters, we had teams. And over time we realized that that model was we didn't want to kind of just replicate what had already happened and start expanding this model to other countries. And when we started to work in countries like Greece, it didn't need for us to set up an operation because there already was a civil society response. And so we saw actually supporting host communities, supporting the communities themselves, giving them the resources that we were able to raise. That was actually a much more innovative model that that actually meant that people were supported more effectively and it moves towards really creating the change that we want to see in the world as well. Yes, and I can imagine that that first model was very intensive in terms of time and cost as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, so this is a way that you can almost empower those who are already set up and are in the local um, grounds. We did our own little bit for for the Ukrainians and we had an amazing art exhibition that I was a a, a crazy sort of... um, uh, auctioneer. I'd never done that before. Oh my God, how fun was it fun? Oh my, I had my own golden gabble. Oh my gabble. God, I think so it's called cool. that. I didn't even know what the name was, you know, and I was able to, you know, um, sell off these pieces of work and we raised £5,000 in wow, the evening. amazing. And it was incre- incredible. And this, the small business community just literally 
there was an outpouring of love and generosity. And I think it's because with the media the way it is, for us so connected now on a minute by minute basis to almost the heartbeats of the world, you can feel completely, can't you, helpless as, mm. as a person. You see Ukraine, Rwanda, Pakistan at the moment. What would you say to those who are feeling that way? And how can people get involved to make a difference? Because it can almost paralyze you yeah. in feeling like you're one person. You can't make difference. And then we're going to go on to your story because quite frankly, that's exactly what you did. Uh, you did make a difference. But for us, you might not be starting a charity. Yeah. I, do you know what? I always say people shouldn't, not shouldn't. It is overwhelming. I, I have to say, I have to like really manage how much I, I watch the news because it's just, there's just so much going on in the world. And actually with what happened in Pakistan, you know, 33 million people displaced and we we were like, our instinct was that we wanted to set up a crowdfunder and, and start helping, but we just don't have the capacity right now. So we had to be signalling people to organisations working on the ground. But I do think we have to not get overwhelmed in thinking, God, we have to fix everything. And everyone can only do what they can do. But if everyone does that little something, whatever it is that they can do, all of those things really add up. And not everyone can drop everything and go and volunteer in another country. Not everyone can quit their job and do something else. But everyone can read up about an issue and talk to their friends about it. Not everyone can, but if you can, donating to organisations, researching which organisations you're donating to is really helpful. You can be thinking about where you buy your products, where you buy your clothes. Mm. You can volunteer at local organisations, even if you do one day a year. You know, you can do these small things. And often I think once you once you kind of start down that road, you end up learning more, you, you start finding out about other things you can do. But I, I think just starting somewhere is better than starting nowhere, if that makes sense. What a great piece of advice. And I think... As I said, I, I I myself feel overwhelmed. My husband's addicted to the news. Um, so we have the like news broadcast. And then he, if I've even heard it on the news, he'll broadcast it again to me by telling me the same <laughs> facts again, right? So I have a double a sort double. of new... Oh, it's, it's just, it's, you can imagine our relationship. Fantastic. Huh? <laughs> but the point is, is that it, it really does feel hard at times. And I remember when we did the auction, it did feel like, okay, it's £5,000. It's a huge amount of money. We did one thing and we couldn't do it every day, no. but we had done something. And actually, Absolutely. I think that's how people were thinking. Though All those little things connect and they make a big difference. And it's been amazing to look at the support that you've given different um, campaigns. But I want to go back a little bit because when I was researching you for this podcast, I read that as a child right? You wanted to work for the UN. Now, I don't know if this is a normal childhood aspiration. Um, I don't know what age you were, but you had this amazing teacher at school, Mrs. Judy Grill, um, yeah. who installed the importance of social justice. And she used to get the class to write letters to Amnesty. Yes. I mean, firstly, it shows you how teachers can change your life, doesn't it? it really I mean, does. it's it's incredible. What do you think ignited something inside of you as a child? Um, I don't, I mean, I really, Mrs. Grill, really opened my eyes so much to the, to the world. And I, I was a very emotional child. I, I found it really hard to control my emotions and I would watch 
film about it could be really about anything but it could be that when when Bambi's is it Bambi's mum or Bambi's dad? I or mean, both? I, I can't by the way, remember. Bambi is the one film I have never, well, no, sorry, along with a couple, Shawshank, uh, and, oh my God. Uh, not Shawshank, sorry, Schindler's List, oh Shawshank I can watch. I can't watch them. And Bambi I've never actually watched because I think there is a scene where the mum yeah. dies or something like yeah. this. So so but, yes. any of those films, I it, but it wasn't normal how much I would get upset and cry, and cry I, I it would be like I'd be inconsolable and um do you think you were an, an empath I don't know I don't know I I I don't know but I know that I I so, found stuff sounds, like that yeah unbearable to watch or to I, I'd have nightmares and um so I I definitely very much had a lot of empathy and at school, I that is, I felt like I wanted to work for the U. I either wanted to be an a, a famous actress or work for the UN. <laughs> and, same, same. Um, same, same. And I really kind of imagined myself going down that path. And then life had quite other plans for me. And I, I perhaps p- partly because of all of those emotions that I had in me, I my mental health struggled a bit at university. I was like so ecstatic to be in London and um, I ended up um, leaving university before I had finished um, and working in bars and in music and in the kind of music scene in London. Um, so I kind of thought that that, um, that, that life path, uh, I had missed my chance. And you missed your chance, you'd scuppered it. Or, I did or, think so. But, but- Going back to that, it's interesting. I have a niece who we feel she sounds like you. She's only seven. She can't watch films, so she can't watch a film because even the music in the film, she can't sort of um, compute. And the music, if it's just even a few notes and she already can tell it's going to be sad or something's going to happen. And it sounds like you in terms of, isn't it funny how we can look back at our childhood selves and sort of see not, sometimes we say like the skill, but it's for you, it's even the, your heart, your literal heart was made for what you're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think one of the things a lot of people say, you know, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to see or know about all of the things that you encounter in your daily job. And I, I think the only reason I can is because I know that we can do do something about it. And I'm now, Choose Love is in this very privileged position that we are, we, we have an infrastructure set up that enables us to help. We have this huge community of support. We, we're, we're able to help and do something. And so I, I think without that, I wouldn't be able to do it, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, you have a vehicle. But your to... niece sounds lovely. Oh, thank you. She is so lovely. I mean, we, we obviously, I love films, so that's not something we can bond over. But it, it's, <laughs> I it's, love it's, films it's, too. <laughs> you know, but she, we, we always wonder what she will be because she can sense, she senses things and, and it's quite remarkable. And it sounds like you two share that sort of empathetic, but almost on an empath level. Um, but just going back to coming out of uni, you went to UCL. I did. Um, and you, you then went into you touched on the music industry I mean it's a little bit more than just the music industry like you know you it was an exciting time because I read that you uh, worked for Coldplay uh, you know funny enough yes now that's pretty cool tell me about (laughs) that exciting time um it was such an amazing time and experience and definitely 
I wouldn't have had the skills to do what I do now had I not not worked there. And, you know, they're obviously, the, I remember so well, one of my first boyfriends bought me the Coldplay album when I was like 15 and I listened to it over and over and over again in my room. So then when I got that the job to work there, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was ecstatic and it, yeah, it was, a, it was a dream come true. And they are obviously, they're the, the one of the biggest if not the biggest band in the world and they are all the nicest people they're so kind so I got to see you know them touring them creating music they do so much charitable work so I got to see that their whole team is just they work so hard but everyone does it they're so kind and then my di- direct boss their creative director manager he is just he's an incredible human and I learned so much from him and being a personal assistant, the skills were so transferable because it's all about problem solving and finding ways to do things and like even learning how they did press, how they use the media, how they speak to their community, how they speak Mm. to their fans, how they do logistics. You know, all of these things were so, so helpful with what we do more so actually than what I learned in my two years at at uni, which was still also amazing, and I'm so lucky to. Well, have had it's the University years. of Life. University of Life, exactly. That's what I say. It's how I badge my time in advertising and not going to <laughs> university. You just call it University of Life. It is University like, oh, of Life. That's really good that you but did that. It's, <laughs> it's true, though. I even, you know, I was a barmaid for for uh, when I when I so when I left uni, I was a barmaid for a number of years, and I learned so much. I talked to so many people, being able to like pull a pint, get stuff out the fridge with my feet, be doing the till at the same time. You know, you get stuff done. It's you I learned loads. It's I love that. <laughs> it's in but in in that period of time, it was 2015 mm. and basically everything changed for you because yeah. the refugee crisis was intensifying throughout Europe. There mm. was these daily reports of people living without basically basic necessities. And you decided you had to do something. As I mentioned before, you call yourself this accidental activist. And I'm I'm wondering what made you do something and what was that moment? Because a lot of us are horrified by the images. We we can't stand it. We think about it at night, but you were compelled to actually do something. Was there a moment in time that it switched for you? Um there was. I just was seeing all of these images on the news and I guess I had a bit that same feeling of when I would watch the films as a kid and it just felt unbearably sad to see all of this stuff and I think I'd also I don't know I'd been doing some I was how old was I I was 30 and you start to do a bit of reflection about yourself and I was thinking you know I, I really I wanted that part of me that had once been a part of me to to be alive again. Does that sound weird? I don't know. Yeah, no, um, I, I get it completely. And and so when we were seeing all of these things, I thought, you know, we we really really have to do something and try and help in some way. And um, I was at lunch with um, some friends with Dorno Porter, and uh, I said, I feel like we should try and raise some money for for Calais in northern France. I feel like you know it it's really important that we do. It's on our doorstep and these images are so sad. And I always say I I was very much someone that used to put on Facebook like petitions or articles and sometimes I hadn't even, I was virtue signaling, I hadn't signed them or I hadn't even read the article Mm -hmm. fully. And I just felt like I I don't want to be that person anymore. So we, Dawn thought it was a great idea 
Um, I then went to my friend Leanna Bird, and she had uh, had an old teacher who had been already spent some time in the Calais camp. So it all kind of connected up. And then we decided that we would try and raise a thousand pounds and we would collect tents and sleeping bags. And the the idea was is that we would take one van load um to northern France and that would kind of be the end of the the end of the story. Um but then so many people responded on Facebook because I do think at that time, you know, there were so many people who felt like, wow. I think it really, 2015 feels like a time when the world really changed, at least for for us here in, in the mm-hmm. UK and in a position of privilege. But everything started to change then. And I think pe- lots of people decided they would, they would do something. And people wanted that route to help. But because refugees, as we all know, are very politicised for lots of different reasons, a large... INGOs, governments weren't doing anything to help and people had this energy and wanting to help. And about four days into our campaign is when the, there was the photo of the little boy, Island Kurdi, yes. who washed up on the shore. And I, th- I mean, that image changed the world. But so there was this public outpouring. People were looking for a way to help and, and we were providing one. And we were using social media, which I think was was kind of quite new. We were one of definitely one of the first big social media charities, I think, to form in the UK. And so we ended up with over £50,000 in the first week. Incredible. We had so so many people say, I've got tents, I've got sleeping bags on the Facebook status, that in a lunch I just got an Uber to, like, Googled where the nearest storage was to Big Yellow Storage in Finchley, went in, begged them to give us a free room. They did. And then... Liana's sister suggested we should do an Amazon wish list. So we found out what the items were that were most needed and we thought, wouldn't it be great they'll have new items? So this wish list got set up, but then we got a phone call from the Big Yellow Storage saying that they had had a call and 7,000 packages were going to be delivered the next day and that we had to put them away because that's not part of what they do, plus we weren't paying anyway. And so we used social media and asked people to come and volunteer and before we knew it, we had you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 people coming to volunteer every day from all walks of life, packing and sorting. And it was just incredible. Like people were driving in with their boots full. There were like Tesco Asda deliveries all showing up, people ordering food because there was quite a lot of like oil and rice on on that initial list. And so then we ended up with, I think, 20 big rooms full of aid. And all of these funds, and then we, I, I still to this day really feel the public have trusted us. Yes, they have. They have. They've put, you know, it's their hard-earned money. They've bought these items. Sometimes when it was people delivering stuff from home, kids would have draw, drawn drawings or, like, said, mm. you know, I hope you're written picture yes. of a teddy bear and said, I hope you're okay. And, you know, we want to make sure that this is going to where it's most needed and that it really gets there. So we went to France and we expected to find a big governmental body there taking care of everyone or a big organisation. And at that time, there were about 5,000 people. They were living in a field. It was like a, it's actually an industrial estate that, that, where the government said that it was okay for people to be and there was like asbestos in the ground. And yeah, it was muddy. People didn't have shoes on. Not everyone had a tent. If they had a tent at all, it had holes in it. There was people didn't have food. People didn't have diapers for their babies. I mean, 
it was it was chaos. And there absolutely were absolutely shocking. And I read that you said there's no warehouses, there was no infrastructure, there was no coordinated effort. You literally were coming into this sort of yeah no man's la- like it, it was it, you know. And what a shocking experience that you you know you've picked up. Imagine there you are, you've coordinated some people together and then suddenly you get this influx. Amazing. But I'm sure you expected when you arrived that you were going to be ushered somewhere and it was going to, do you know what I mean? That they was, it, this was something that was on other people's radar. Totally. And it was, there were small local French organisations and then other teams of volunteers who were tr- who were trying their hardest, but people didn't, they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the experience. Um, and, and it, you know, I, I had a on that day we met an unaccompanied ch- child or more than more but one in particular that we spoke to and I just couldn't believe it I couldn't believe what I was seeing I definitely did a a a, a big old I couldn't control the crying I remember having to go and hide behind a car and the myself and the women that I I was with who are still all part of the organization now we just couldn't un- unsee what we'd seen and we were like well mm. Our lives have changed forever now. We'll never be the same people and we have to do something. And the kind of the rest is history. We ended up partnering with a French organization, Le Berge de Migrant. We rented a warehouse. We started the, the distribution, the shelter, all of the things I was talking about earlier. And it really, it wasn't just us. There were lots of other grassroots organizations who were popping up micro organizations yeah exactly that we all coordinated together but then what we also did was fundraise and then grant give to those organizations and we got very quickly plugged into what was happening in greece and the balkans and started to fundraise for all the civil society actors that were working there and ultimately that became what our model is. It is actually an incredible story. You touched on the social media part and I know that your hashtag help Calais basically went viral and that was the, that's what happened. And so, you know, social media gets such a bad rap, rightly so. We've watched the documentaries. I have a son. I know the hours. I know my own hours. Do you know what I mean? Like I live, I walk content, you know, on this planet at the moment and all these sorts of things. But this is where social media is phenomenal, isn't it? You know, it's when you want to broadcast something to as many people with a small business, with no, you know, not Martin, there's no marketing budgets, et cetera, et cetera. And you're then, how do you tap into the emotional sort of heartstrings of society? This is where social media, and as you said, you were one of the the first. Is that something that you, well, I, I'm, I'm presuming you could never have done this without it? Oh my gosh, we would not exist were it not for social media. There, there's no way that that community of people who all cared about this issue would all be able to to come together and we wouldn't have been able to continue to grow that community as well and I think with like all things in life there's two sides to every coin and social media is responsible for so much of the awful things that are happening in the world but it's also responsible for so many of the amazing things happening in the world and yeah that that's just kind of that's kind of what life is isn't it? I, I struggle with it myself. I'm I'm often like I'm just not going to be on social media anymore. But then 
I feel disconnected from everyone. We have to be on it for choose love. It's um yes, it's it, it is. It's a comp. It's a we can have a whole other podcast just talking about. That's a whole media. other podcast. <laughs> it's it's that thing where you know I'm doing SME SOS at the moment for the energy crisis with um this community, and without it, I wouldn't help people. No, that, that's that. But at the same time, Instagram's asking me to do every reel and, you know, story and post. And actually, I need to run the business and you need to raise money and I've yeah. got to feed it because that's what it is. So it's, it's a very difficult relationship that we have. What I loved hearing was that you also use social media in that smart way. Is, is that right? You tested what was working um, on some of the adverts that you were putting out there. Is that right? And and yeah. I, I think that, you know, a lot of small businesses are listening to this. This is the power, isn't it? You can test one thing and another thing and work out what is going to respond best. And you had some surprising sort of uh, revelations there because it wasn't necessarily the pictures of these hard pictures that we would normally presume yeah. would make someone um, donate. Is that right? What, yeah. what, what did you sort of learn from society about those pictures and what were the pictures that did um, resonate with people? Actually, in terms of the pictures, it's twofold. We also, because we were working so directly with the communities, we very quickly started to understand that the kind of traditional like aid pictures of yes. people in very undignified moments in really vulnerable moments without agency you know people feel exploited by that and that, you know I, I you and I wouldn't want pictures of us in those mm. moments in our our no. lives or online so we really wanted to kind of change the way things were being represented online so that's kind of always been a kind of core value of, of the organisation and how we've done comms. I definitely feel at the time we were quite disruptive in the sector in that way. But yes, as you said, we we were really lucky as well because we didn't know how to do everything. We've always like pulled in anyone who's an expert on anything to, to offer advice and help. And so we've been really lucky to work with loads of people who are es- experts in socials and online fundraising and all of these things and with kind of experience from the private sector as well I feel like you know testing things and changing course and being entrepreneurial is really important and and we still do this now I had meetings this morning looking looking at various different ads that we've been running and uh, seeing how they're performing and what language performs best and it can be down to a it can be down to a word whether you say help donate support what it will really? perform differently, yeah, which is terrifying, but also amazing that you are able to see that and, and adjust your strategy accordingly. But people people do re- respond to positive things. They respond right. to hope. They do respond to hope. They respond to messages of love. And I think that's been a really amazing thing to see and kind of, you know, we the media is very much responsible for a lot of this negativity that's out there. And we still do. It is, you know, nothing performs more than when there is a, performs is a horrible word, but in, is in, engaged yes. with or, you know, when there's a moment of crisis and we can update people about what's happening on the ground and tell them how they can help. But also when we share stories of organisations doing amazing work or individuals who have overcome everything to achieve amazing things, you know, those get 
equal kind of levels of engagement and they really inspire people and you can drive people to donate through love and hope and joy as much as you can through the kind of fear and tragedy and empathy which is and the empathy part is still incredibly important As you know, I'm passionate about celebrating small businesses and championing creativity within all of us. That's why I'm thrilled to be working with Adobe Express, who each week are handing over their ad break to a small business founder, shining a light on their own businesses and sharing how Adobe Express really is helping fuel their creativity. Hello there, I'm Jenny, founder and one-woman band behind Mind the Cork. As the name suggests, I create objects out of cork, a brilliantly eco-friendly material. I create planters, small storage vessels and other cool gifts for the home, all sold online at mindthecork.com. As I grow from designer maker to small business owner, I now send packages out to customers all over the world from my studio in South London. Like most small businesses, I am forever multitasking I'd love to spend more time on marketing and sharing my brand story, but that often doesn't get ticked off the list. But now, Adobe Express, you have won me over. I've been trying the app for the past week, and it's a real game changer. Lots of ready-made templates for the different social media platforms, beautifully designed, save me from staring at a blank page when I need to create something quickly. I want to post more videos on social media. Now, all I have to do is pick a template, rearrange a few things, add my own images or videos, fonts and brand colours, and that's it. The end result looks like something designed especially for my brand. If I got you curious about cork and all the things I make with it, head to my website, mindacork.com. Say hi on social media or sign up for my newsletter. Each month until December, I will pick one new subscriber at random to win a £25 voucher to spend in my store. For now, thanks Adobe Express and a massive thank you Holly and the team for all the inspiring work you do. Thank you once more to Adobe, who have helped to make this podcast episode happen. If you want to find out more about Adobe Express and how it can help your business, head over to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. Can you tell me, when you started all of this, I can imagine that you were sort of naive to the situations that you were getting yourself into in terms of like, you know, this, as you said, you were, you know, working in a pub and you decided to do this and then you're this accidental activist and you're finding yourself in Calais. You've got social media. Did you use uh, your authenticity and your vulnerability in almost the sort of seedlings of this organisation? Totally. Because... Yeah, because this is where I think the difference has happened, which is the transparency of you to the cause, to the business, to your charity, rather than potentially some, uh, I'm not saying this in a negative way, a faceless charity, something that feels 
um, you know, it's it's a it's what I talk about when you small businesses, and I say, use your founder status, use what your story is, why you're here. The high street giants can't do that. There is nobody there. There is a board. There is a table. There is. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's spreadsheets. There's percentages. There's shareholders. Do you think that that was one of the things that got this off off the ground that you were able to be you? I- I think so. And and it's not just me where, you know, our team are incredible and there's kind of a core group of us who have been here since the beginning. And, it, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, I think this is this this is probably something that would be frowned upon to say, but like, this is personal. This is about humans. And mm. it is our, we always say like, choose love runs through our, runs through our blood. It is us. Yes. It's not just a business. It's not a corporation. This is about human beings. And this is, it's about it's built on love and it's built on empathy and I'm again I'm so lucky I get to go to a lot of the places where we work and see the impact that the organization is having but when I'm then able to come back and have a meeting with someone who's going to support the organization and they can look me in the eyes and I can say mm-hmm. I was there three weeks ago and this is what I saw and this is what the organization is doing that we're working with and that is a different experience for for people. Mm. Yeah, I think people I think people can relate to the organization and then I think in the same way all the organizations that we work with have been built out of having to respond to a situation that's taking place and they're all run by the most amazing people and so we really try and use our platform to platform them because people connect to them in the same way and you know, connect our donors to the, directly to the organisations as well. And really, we're, we're stronger together, we're stronger as an ecosystem, and that, that's really important to us and the, the way that we work. This is where the, the you've almost created a charity for a whole new generation to support you because you've got this maybe perfect storm where you've got social media, you've got the passion of you, your founder, the fearlessness, you're, you're in, you're, you know, you're not... This isn't uh, a founder an industry where you're selling up your charity. You know, no. I'm assuming you're in it till you're retiring and this is your plight in life. <laughs> and and I can see that and feel that. And that's where this sort of perfect storm of the fact that you can amplify that genuality, that the whites of your eyes. I read that you said the refugee crisis is an extremely complex and political business in many ways. But there is nothing confusing or complex about a child having nowhere to sleep. Yeah. It's those sorts of things where you are touching hearts and minds, potentially cutting through in this day where there's so much noise, where we haven't seen this before in other charities. One of the things I sort of couldn't believe, and I'd love to talk to you about this, is that not only was it with the perfect storm of social media, your authentic self-founder and your team that you brought together. But then you did something so frigging cool. (laughs) You have basically redefined the charity shop's online on offline offering and this sort of idea of opening a physical space where people can purchase items that refugees need, things such as a blanket or school bag, and then you distribute them. And I was looking at these images and shame on me, I have not been I will be going. Oh, good. Pop-up shops. Tell me, tell everyone right now where they could visit. So we'll be opening probably 3rd or 4th of November 
Um, and we will be on Fubert's Place, which is just off Carnaby Street. And we've got a really beautiful big store this year that we've been donated. And please, everyone come because there's going to be so much needs, but we're going to make it really beautiful and amazing I experience. I am coming day one, you have minute to come, one. Great. Day one, minute one. Minute I'm one, okay. Be there. Minute one, because the way it was created, so pop-up shops that are organised in arrival, shelter and future. And the idea is that basically, you tell us the, you tell us what happens here, because imagine I don't know anything. I mean, okay. and now I do. And I'm literally freaking out about how clever this all is. Oh, but just tell everybody. Tell okay, everyone. So, and... And again, it's this is it all happened through collaboration and people working together. We're not just thinking that you are the only genius. Okay. I promise you, right? <laughs> you don't need to say it. We know okay. that it's your amazing team, but you just happen to be pretty special as well. Just okay. letting you know that, okay? okay. So Absolutely. how how did you come up with the vision of this? So, so in 2016, so we'd only existed for a year and a half, but we were already working all across Europe. In the Balkans, we were working in the Middle East, we were working in the UK, and we worked a lot with journalists because we were really, we had access to what what was really happening. And we were really trying to naively and initially always thought, people must just not know that this is happening. You know, if, if people, if a government knew that there were children as young as eight living by themselves in the forests, they'd come and help them. And then you start to realise, no, this is all very political and people do know and they they can benefit from this and and you you start to realize that the world is more dark than you wished it was um but we were we worked with the guardian a lot and we were the guardian charity partner and it was absolutely amazing what an honor to to get that um campaign when we were so young in our, as an organization and it we raised i think our portion, it was three charities, was about three quarters of a million pounds. And that went on paying for wood to keep people warm. It paid for tents. It paid for tarps to go over the tents to keep them warm, for pallets that would go under the tents. It paid for thermal underwear, for fluffy baby grows to keep babies warm, uh, for like, for centres and with heating so women could breastfeed in them. I mean, all of these different things. It was like winter, winterization. We're coming into our eighth winter, which feels really crazy. But the following year, in 2017, we were like, what are we going to do? We can't be the Guardian Charity Partner again. We we need to come up with an amazing fundraising idea. What is it going to be? And then a very good friend of mine um, and someone who we had worked with on various things to do with Syria, he had been on his honeymoon, a wonderful man called James Turner, who runs an organisation called Glimpse. And he had been thinking about our Amazon wish list that we had had when we started and he messaged me and said, can I come in for a meeting? I've had this idea. And he said, what if you did that again, but you did it as a store and there was a physical space? And we'd also, and I just thought it was absolutely the most amazing idea ever and was like, we we have to do this. And we'd also started to learn that getting, you know, shipping aid from here to another country is one, not environmentally friendly. It doesn't support the local economy. So you need to be buying things in the places that you're working and so we were like, we need to have an online version of the store. We were just like, this is the answer to our problem. And so we we started working with Glimpse and we developed all of the concept. The idea of the store is that it's like charity shops. Charity shops are amazing. I love shopping in charity shops, but they don't give you the same feeling as when you go to like a really cool store. So we wanted it to feel as cool as possible. We 
took inspiration from the Apple store uh, and created the long table down the center of the store and had all the items that we needed to be buying for people. So the warm child's coat, the warm winter boots, the hygiene pack, um, or items that represented services that we provide. So a life jacket represented search and rescue boats in the sea. And then the idea is people could come into the store, pick up the items, interact with them, think about the person who didn't have, the child who doesn't have a coat, um, and they would buy the item, leave with nothing, feel the love, and then we would use those funds to buy the items in the in the countries that we work in. And then people who couldn't get to the physical store could do it online. And because it was the holiday season, we wanted to do cards so people could say, Dear Mum, I've bought you a blanket for a refugee this year. It's not going to be under the tree. It's being delivered to someone who really needs it. And then we sold our merch because it's always nice to have merch. And it was a, more of a success than we could ever have imagined. And we're about to do our sixth year of the campaign this year. It is genius. And when I Googled all the images and, and the, as you said, it's this clean store you would think that maybe you were going to buy a really expensive dress in it or something yeah. you know, it's, it's it feels all beautiful and then you have you know arrival shelter future you've got um your motto shop your heart out and feel the love I mean it's just so so clever and this is again this new generation of charity where actually you're using the fact that actually a lot of people would have you know taken their selfies in there they would have yeah. promoted it they it was it was actually a- allowing people to get involved as you said really think about the child's jacket that they're buying it's just brilliant and i just cannot wait to see what you're going to do tell me though because Is it the experience of working with Coldplay and understanding what merchandise does to that industry? You had your own moment, didn't you? Because there is a certain iconic piece of clothing (laughs) that is literally changing the world. And it really does show you, obviously being a product nerd and, you know, obsessive, it shows you the power of a product. Tell me about the story of the Choose Love t-shirt. So, uh, basically, when we started, we were called Help Calais. Then we started working in Greece really quickly, so we we changed it to Help Refugees. Uh, and in the that was in August September of 2015. And in the November of 2015, we decided that we would put on a music event to raise funds. And like you say, I knew that you should sell merch at a music event. I mean, not rocket science. I'm sure everyone would have thought of that, but I especially thought <laughs> But you it. had seen it. Yeah. You'd seen what happens. We were like, we're going to sell a T-shirt. What should the T-shirt say? Who's going to design the T-shirt? A guy called Hayden Prouse, who was really involved in the charity uh, as we started, he happened to be best friends with the designer Catherine Hamnett's mum. And he said, I think I can get Catherine to do, to do the T-shirt. So... Anyway, we were so lucky, she said yes. And she's well known for anyone who doesn't know. She's seen as the queen of sustainability. She was in the 80s, her her denim range, her iconic, she basically invented the slogan t-shirt. You know, she was the absolute height yeah, of fashion and an amazing absolutely. activist. She's she, she, I can't remember what the t-shirt said, but she was invited to number 10 to meet. Yes. Margaret Thatcher, I, and she wrote I'm, like no nuclear or something on the, on yes. the t-shirt. It's very cool. It was the it's the, some of the most unbelievable um, images, isn't it? Of yeah. her. Um, I'm just googling it as we. I've never done this actually on a podcast. Oh, fun! Um, here we go. Um, I hope I got it right. I think it was. No, nuclear. you are right. You are right. I know. I I, I know this image. I yeah. Oh, 
I mean, the first time ever that the Google says no results back. Anyway, you keep going. Okay. I, I'll work on this in the background. Okay, so Kath, we're talking to Catherine. What should it say? Should it say Help Refugees, which was our name? The kind of big like a slogan at the time was refugees welcome as everything was becoming really politicised. It was when there was Nigel Farage was doing his mad campaign saying that Britain was under attack. I mean, totally crazy. And we were talking about the fact that it was just human beings. And when you go to one of these places and you look everyone in the eyes, you realise that um, it's just like down to luck that that's not you and it could be you it could be your mom it could be your kid it could be your brother your sister it could be you um and Catherine and her team at the time said why don't we change choose life she was really famous for George Michael wearing choose life t-shirt in a wham video yes choose life to choose love um and I I, I there's that moment there's that moment and um and so then that got suggested to us. We loved it. And um, actually, for a second, I thought maybe that's cheesy. But then you know, we went with it. Um, and, um, and people just loved it. They, it sold out on the night. It, people just thought it was amazing. And we realised that it meant, it like really meant something. And it, it actually was, in a way, a politi- political statement as well at the, at the time. Yes. And it still is. And... So we thought, what if we could sell these to order? What if we got celebrities to start posting them on Instagram and in a selfie as a kind of badge of compassion that they're wearing on their chest? And and then people will buy them and do the same and post their selfies. And it worked. And we would, I, I remember thinking maybe this will be cool for six months. And, and here we are seven years later and people still wear it and... It's just, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's, We've sold hundreds it's of thousands amazing. of them. And I, I remember you also, um, you worked with ASOS from We did. I, from I have the to start. say, we did. Um, they We worked with them for three or four years and I think four years. And they were incredible. And myself and one of our ambassadors, Hassan, we met the CEO at an event that we, we were invited to speak at and we were like, please, will you sell our T-shirts? And, um, <laughs> and he thought they're there. They, yeah, probably and, I can. And I'll they sell did. a few for them. And they yeah. did. And I, they were incredible. They they helped us with loads of the like licensing stuff that we hadn't done yes. that we didn't know to do. And, you know, they, they probably didn't know what they, they were taking subsidized on at the, the time. distribution. No, I don't think anyone ever anticipated <laughs> it would be so big. Um, but it, it like really we our organization even wouldn't wouldn't be what it is were it not for that kind of chance that they took on us. And, and it, at the time, you know, a lot of brands actually still to this day don't want to be associated with us because they're worried about alienating a portion of the population and so it was a really hats off to them that they did that oprah winfrey wore one who else has worn one i mean that is seriously cool it's pretty cool (laughs) oprah's done it uh julia roberts one of my faves oh my gosh there's so many jamila jamil dua lipa harry uh, actually harry's done a video for choose love he didn't wear the t-shirt um james corden um, How incredible! Yeah, really, just so many, so many people. Id- Idris Elba recently. We've got a photo of him holding one up. There's lo- loads of people. It's amazing. Judy Dench. I mean, amazing. It's it's that again. Going back to that sort of, if you can 
you know, activate the, you know, you created the T-shirt with someone and I've, I've, I've gone into it. You're right. It was basically Catherine wore um, a T-shirt um, to 10 Downing Street to meet Margaret Thatcher. And it was really, really long. When you look at the pictures, if you Google it, you know, it's almost down to her knees. And she basically wore it and it said 58% don't want Pershing. Mm. Um, and I don't know my nuclear um, terminologies well enough, but this was all about the missiles across Europe yeah. and the non-consulting that had gone on. And there she is, this iconic designer with Margaret Thatcher. And there is the slogan T-shirt. Now you activated that and that that obviously has just bought celeb fame, another type of amplification hasn't it to your organization again why it's almost the next generation of charity you've tapped into these areas that we all you know vacuously like um <laughs> but we, you, you've been able to get into it in a way that really feels completely authentic again yeah i i again we're just always bowled over by all of the support that we get and and in the first few years i like like Oprah happened, I knew that she was going to be in London for a film premiere. I was like, we must get her in the t-shirt. I managed to find someone who could get me an invite to the to the event. And then I like waited with my bag ready, ran over to her. She was so kind. She, I like quickly explained what we did. I gave her the t-shirt and then a few days later, there she was on Instagram in it. But now people come to us and they, they're like, what can I do to support? I want to be involved in this, which is so amazing. But again, I think it's just, you know, celebrities are also just everyday people and everyday people, yes. it, this feels a lot to know what to do. But you like doing a picture in a T-shirt and, and buying a T-shirt, well, that's something you can do. And um, yeah, and, and it's made so it, nice. made it simple. Tell me, have you, Josie, have you had moments of self-doubt on this journey? Because, you know, here we are on this podcast and you're glorious but I can imagine that just even build, you know, you're building, it's a charity, but it's a business. Mm-hmm. You're building a business. You know, you hadn't swallowed the business Bible before you started this. It's rose in its credibility and its and, it, and its awareness. And now you're looked upon to sort of know what you're doing. And actually what you're doing really matters. Actually, when we, you know, when I speak to people and we say it's not like it's life and death, you know, yeah, this design is not like it's life and death. For you, it is a life and death. Yeah, it, it, it is. And sometimes people, I sometimes people don't like it when, if you say that, but it is. But it is. You're allowed and, to say that. But it you're is. You're allowed to say that. We yeah. can't say that when we're talking about jumpers and and restaurants or some other people. But how have you coped with that personally? I mean, goodness me, I can't tell you how how many times. I've had such imposter syndrome. How many times I've been tearing my hair out, feeling like I just can't do this anymore. The pressure feels too much, especially in the early days, because you know we were just trying our we we're just trying our best. Mm. Um, and it's so hard and frustrating that the world, you know, you kind of believe that you're going to be able to change everything. And like I said before, if you just get the information in front of the decision makers, they'll make different decisions. And then you realise, oh, they, they had the information all along. And that's that's quite a hard thing to wrestle with. And and I've made... It's like I've, you're finding out all the secrets that we all are protected from. 
you know, not only are you helping people, but you're also finding out that darkness that you yeah. just alluded to, yeah, which sometimes. might must be equally as tough. That's it, it. Yeah, it's it's um, it's shocking, and it's something. It yeah, it's something you just have to let sit inside you and and know that you're doing your best to kind to try and counter it. But of course, we're experiencing it one step removed, and the communities who have actually been through all of these things are the most inspiring people ever and the kind of all of the qualities that they have that have enabled them to to survive all of the things to make these journeys to to do these things for their families you know that that is inspiring and that that's why we do this that's why we get up in the morning and then over time of course as the organization has formalized and you know I'm lucky I've had amazing coaches and all the people that we have around us and our boards and different governance structures you know very lucky to be surrounded by a, a really supportive infrastructure but it's been really hard sometimes I, I'm not gonna lie it's um yeah it's it's been a lot of, of blood sweat and tears I truly can imagine that for you tell me through your blood, sweat and tears, what you've given this charity, what, you, how, what you've helped create and thus allowed other people to then give, how much have you raised and how many people do you think you've helped? Well, we've just turned seven. And actually, so we, we did a big exercise where we looked back at all of the reports that we have and what we can prove impact that we've had on the ground and so it's close to 70 million pounds that's been <gasps> raised in the seven years and what was that first thing you thought you were going to raise a thousand, thousand pounds yeah thousand that pounds. crazy wow so seven crazy. years one thousand pounds 70 million yeah. pounds <laughs> yeah that's what you've done yeah. i mean that is just insane and how many people do you think that that's touched at least just under four million <gasps> yeah cool and it, 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 you know, we always say choose love is a, is a movement, and it's that is that magical thing, you know, that thing we were talking about earlier. What what can people do? And people feel overwhelmed. That five pounds that someone donates is what's made that nearly seventy million pounds. It's everyone coming together that that makes this mm. this work possible. And when you have that in your mind, does that help you know that? Uh, I can imagine that sort of. You have darker days and things, but that must help you know that, wow, this is what we've achieved in seven years. You know, all my efforts, it's been worth it. You know, th this is the proof that it's been worth it. How are you going to look after yourself in the future? Because I can imagine your sector is prone to burnout. I can imagine your sector because this isn't something you can just decide, you know what, tonight, I'm just not going to think about it when you might have been privy to whatever you've seen or heard or the problems that are occurring. For sure. And I've definitely had burnout in the in the years that we've been working. And we really strive to be creating systems and an organisation where we, we, we make sure that we have built in a work-life balance for everyone that means that people can maintain a sense of normalcy and have time for themselves and that those people who work in the field have got access to certain types of support and we're really lucky that the organisation now has the resources to be able to do that. We didn't when we first started and we've really learned that if you don't look after yourselves you can't help other people so it's it's a big priority for us in, in making an organisation that's sustainable and we didn't 
want to make an organization that was sustainable in the beginning because we wanted to not exist because we we just wanted the every, we thought everything would get solved and then now we have to kind of be realistic that there there really is a huge need mm-hmm. for what we do there's going to continue to be a huge need if not an increased need for what we do and so we have responsibility to make sure that we create an organization and a working environment that enables the work to continue Some good news. Kate Ferdinand's hit podcast, Blended, is back. It's a beautifully navigated podcast created to help anyone in an unconventional family setup feel seen and heard and less alone. As Kate tackles subjects like second marriages, single parenting, fertility struggles, life after loss, and not so wicked stepmothers in such a supportive way. Upcoming guests include the likes of Fern Cotton, Brian Dowling, Babatundi Alishi and Phoenix Brown, as well as experts who offer genuine, useful advice for listeners in similar situations. Just search Blended with Kate Ferdinand on your podcast listening. The little girl who wanted to work for the UN obviously wanted to look after other people before yourself. Do you think you've learnt? How old are you now? 37. At 37, do you now understand that you need to put yourself first? I do. I've, I think that's been a lesson in the last couple of, couple of years. And actually, part of that has been, I always feel weird to use the word success because you know, we only do yeah. what we do because of the awful things that are happening in the world. I get terrible things everyone gets what you mean, through. though. Yeah. But as we became successful, and myself as a female CEO, identifying as female CEO who didn't finish university and was a barmaid, you know, there are people out there who who like to hate you when you've when you've got successful and want to find every little thing that they can to criticize about you. And I was also definitely someone that just wanted to please everyone all the time. And so I thought that never putting myself first and pleasing everyone all the time was was what you were supposed to do. And then I learned, God, you just can't please everyone. And as long as you can look in the mirror and at the end of the day and I know that the work that we do is really important and I know why I get up every day and I am going to go to yoga before work and I am going to take this week off and go and do a yoga retreat holiday. I know that that's the right thing to do and I'm I'm really in a place now where I I put some of You're that okay energy back it. into myself as well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a journey, doesn't it? it I'm does. glad you've got it at 37. I'm only just occurring uh, at, I think, just at the beginning of lockdown was the moment where, you know, I, I you know, we, we talk, we talk back to those stages, but oh it was gosh. the only time I sort of reflected back that I hadn't stopped forever. And yeah. actually taking that time to say, if I do not look after myself, I will not be able to be Hurricane Holly. You will not be able to do what you're going to do for the next seven years. Exactly. Right? And so actually it's not an act of selfishness. No. Um, and I know we've seen all the Pinterest quotes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I know it's been out there for a really long time. But it's when it dawns on you, um, yeah. especially if you live to help people, then it's a really hard wrestle that you have. Before I get into my final questions for you um, about the roller coaster, and I'm I'm interested to hear what your answer would be. Have you seen a shift in humanitarian action during the last seven years? Um, what do you think the future will hold? Wow. 
Um, that's a big question. Um, and I think there's been lots of positive shifts. I think that the kind of funding sector and even the public as well understand that actually the kind of traditional models of aid don't necessarily work and we need to be supporting community-based organisations. We need to be thinking about solutions, not just giving people food packs. We need to be really thinking about what are the root causes of problems? How can we be supporting local economies? How can we getting, how could we be stopping people needing to be displaced in the first place? And I definitely like to think that we've been part of that shift. But at the same time, I see a lot of it happening in conversations and conferences. And then in reality, on the ground, that shift in where funding reaches hasn't necessarily always happened. And when we started in 2015, there were 68 million people displaced in the world. There's now close to 100 million. Mm. And that is a really, like, sad. It's it, it doesn't bode well for the future with climate change. There's a mad statistic that they're estimated it will be a billion people by 2050. And so there has to be so, like some big shifts in how governments and how politicians are thinking. And I think there are a lot of the right conversations are happening, but because we're getting into a society that's more and more polarised, you know, they are. it isn't always necessarily happening within the groups of people that hold power. And mm-hmm. I started out as very like shouty activist, I guess. And now I'm very much like we have to be able to like... T- we have to use this time wisely and we have to have conversations with people and we have to find common ground and we've got to work together because this, the stakes are really, really high. Mm-hmm. But I do think, I keep talking about how amazing they are, but all of our partner organisations, all of these grassroots organisations, these incredible leaders with lived experience, as their organisations formalise and as as they grow, the impact that they're going to have in the world and the knock-on effect, I, I, I feel even though I've said lots of really depressing statistics, I feel really hopeful because I I do feel like that shift is changing and it's like transitions are always painful. And I, but I I do feel like we have to believe that the world is going to get there. It's not meant to be a big question, but it occurred to me, I was just talking to somebody about, you know, obviously everyone's going through hard times as small businesses at the moment and it's really, really difficult. And I said to somebody, but have you thought about the impossible? Have you thought about those things that you just say to yourself, no way? And I'm sure that this is almost your daily life because if you haven't knocked on those doors, you know, you haven't tried everything, you know, that's, you know, yeah, that's what you've got to do. If you could talk to somebody, you know, what, what would be your dream? Who would you, wh- whose mind would you want to change first? My gosh, that is a hard... It's a freaking hard it's one. Really I don't know why question. I even asked it. I... I mean, like, just before we, like, go, let me just throw that one <laughs> on you. But... I'd, I guess it's twofold. I'd want to, I'd want to speak to just everyday people who, who because so many people are being fe- fed one narrative and they're not hearing mm-hmm. the other side of the story. And... And I think that's where change ultimately starts. And, you know, then I'd want to I'd wanna sit down and, I mean, I don't know if I would want to sit down in front of him, but I'd, I'd want to understand what is Putin doing and thinking. But it, that's that same thing. Yeah. He doesn't know that he's bombing schools and hospitals and doing all of the things he does. Of course he knows it's, it's, it's a tactic, but, you, you know, that there are, these, there are certain leaders in the world who 
are committing such atrocities and um they're who I I'd want to believe that you could have a conversation and change yeah. their mind but I, yeah. I, I as I've done this more and more it's I, I less and less think that's possible so I think change really does sit in the in the mass population the hands of everybody yeah good answer by the way oh I don't know if it was Reiki. yeah it might be you uh, me yes. on the spot Holly Putin, it could be a great start here. Tell me, we are coming to the end now of this podcast and I ask all my guests about this roller coaster. And I know you've been certainly on the roller coaster. You've got your Choose Love t-shirt on, your hair's swept back. The roller coaster is going down though to start with. So what would you say has been one of your lowest moments so far on this journey? Okay, so on the the roller coaster going down, there are a few key moments in my life where I have just really felt like I I just can't I I don't have it in me to find my way through through the thing that is happening to me and there's been moments where that's felt like choose love is going to collapse there's been like really significant breakups there's been certain other things and I've just I have reached that point a few times and I've 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 grown from them and I've I've learned from them yeah, those moments where I just I don't feel like I've even got the, the the strength to get up and have have a shower. Yeah, they're they're my low low roller coaster moments. And on your way up, and on my way up, um, so uh, the, actually recently reflecting on what Choose Love has achieved in seven I years, I was going to say the, the journey the journey that we've had and the amazing people that we've met, um, and then I've really over the last year or so as well just reflected on gosh I have so like the friendships that I've built over the last however long you know you start to be I've got had friends for 20 years for 30 years and how incredibly lucky it is to have that love in in life and that like moments when you're on holiday with family or friends and you're looking at the moon like those simple moments actually are the are the absolute absolute highs and then choose love is it has a lot of those moments. Actually, the, when someone says the school that we run is going to close down if we can't find funding and 200 kids, this is something that happened recently, 200 kids aren't going to be able to go back to school in September unless we find X amount of funding. And then we can, if we find the funding for them, that, there's no better feeling. Oh my gosh, what a feeling that must be. <laughs> this has just been the, oh, I feel like crying and you haven't even read your letter yet, <laughs> but I feel like crying because... Oh, you're phenomenal. You are oh, phenomenal. And, you, and you've obviously brought together a phenomenal group of people. And I know you keep referring to that and you've done that well throughout this whole podcast that it's not just you. Yeah. And I understand that. But for this moment, you know, you do also have to realise that's the beauty of you. You brought all those people together. That's that's oh. the thing that you did do. And even if they're the ones carrying it all out, you were the glue and <laughs> um, you, it's it's a really beautiful thing to talk to you. Oh. I'm going to hand over to you, if that's okay, to read a letter to your younger self. And I ask every guest on this podcast to do this. Not many people like me asking them to do this because everybody I talk to is incredibly busy, funny enough, because they're on this podcast and they're successful. But I hope you've been able to find some joy in it. And I'm going to hand over the microphone to you, Josie. But thank you so, so much. Oh, no, thank you, Holly. I've really enjoyed it. And like I said, I've, I'm a huge fan and so feel really honoured to be on a podcast. So really, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. And actually writing the letter was like, was really therapeutic. <laughs> 
It was a good exercise. Okay, I've I've printed it out, so I'm just going to read it. Um, Dear Josie, I know life feels overwhelming and it is going to get harder before you find yourself and find your way, but I promise you will. You are strong, resilient, and the challenges you go through and the mistakes you think you make aren't mistakes at all. They will make you who you are. They are your way of coping, and you will be amazed by the power within you. Know that you are loved, but above all, always remember to love and befriend yourself. If I can pass on some of the wisdom I have learned, eat well and exercise, it will make you feel better. You don't need to fill the void and master pain by going out, and ultimately, it won't serve you. Boys will break your heart. You will think you can't go on, but you can. And each time, a new version of yourself will rise. You don't need to find your worth in boys or other people. It's inside you all along. Worrying what other people think of you is a waste of time. There will always be people who don't like you. It's about them, not you. Don't take anything personally. It's always, more than likely, nothing to do with you. Your body, whatever size it is, is beautiful. Time goes by so quickly. Be present. Don't worry about the past or the future. There's no point. Enjoy every moment with family and friends, every sunrise, every sunset, every bird song. There's nothing more important. Always dance like no one is watching. The world is cruel, and I'm sorry to say that what they taught you in school, that the world is fair and equal, is not true. And although life hasn't always been easy for you and your mum and your sister, you are in fact so very lucky. That empathy and over-emotional capacity you have, crying at everything that many see as a weakness, will one day be your greatest strength. Trust your gut when you feel it's time to change your life and fight for what you believe in. And when someone suggests to you to make a t-shirt that says, choose love, listen, it will change your life and the life of millions of others. It's going to be okay, I promise. Life is a whirlwind of love, joy, pain, loss, regeneration, beauty and magic. It's a wild ride, but it's worth every second. I love you, Josie. <laughs> I feel so emotional around you. I honestly do. I just think it's just such a beautiful, perfect letter. Oh, and you, um Don't and just, cry now. <laughs> and um I I really, you know, it's going to be an amazing thing to watch what you do over the next seven years. Oh, and I hope to talk to you in between that time. Um, you will, I'll see you at the shop. First minute of the remember. I'm gonna be that keynote that's right at the front. Okay. <laughs> so that's the thing. I wish you all the success and thank goodness for people like you. And Aww. thank goodness for hearts like you that cry at films and uh, for everyone who's got a young one that might be doing that know that they could turn out like Josie and that's an amazing thing thank Thank you you. thank you Holly before you go don't forget to head to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker to find out how Adobe Express can fuel creativity in your business and if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 